0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Majsue Don are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome, everybody, to our next panel at the Planet Microcap Showcase Virtual. I'm your host for the event, Robert Krafts. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Krabby, B O B B Y K K R A F T, And I'm also the producer of the show, the Avoiding the Crowd podcast with our host, Maj Swaydan. And this is our special episode for this event. And I'd like to introduce, without further ado, the host of the show, Maj Swaydan. Maj, how you doing, man? Great. Thanks, Bobby. I'm fine. I late a little late night last night, but I still here. <laughs> well, good. Well, look, I'm hoping yeah. that you're, you know, look, we're recording this on April 13th. I, hopefully by by uh, the time this is broadcast, uh, you're fully recovered. You never know. You know, sure. you're getting up there, you're getting up there in age, man. Like we can't we can't have these nights anymore.
1: Just a little bit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just a few, every few, few and far between.
1: <laughs> well, I like most about the with the Proud crowd crowd um, podcast, with the crowd podcast is while well, it's great learning about these different strategies from different investors across the you know universe that we've had in our show, Lighter Cap Universe. I love the pitch session. I love hearing the, um, our, the investors or the guests' war stories, successes, the thought process on how they pick stocks and mm-hmm. some of their current favorite stocks. So I think uh, we decided, hey, why don't we just do a special pitch session on this um, panel here, it would be awesome. So I'm exactly. really excited to hear that. And I'm excited to interview the CEO of a company I'm invested in as part of that pitch session also. Very cool. Yeah. No,
0: so one one thing that we do on every episode of, of Avoiding the Crowd when we have a guest on is they have they do a pitch. So we figured we'd pull that segment out of what we do each episode and have four investors give their pitch as well as Maj at the end with the CEO interview. So I mean, let's let's get into it, right? Enough, enough chit chat, enough banter. I think it's time to get into this. So Maj, you want to introduce our first
1: pitch? Yeah, the Paul Andreola in small camp discoveries. You know, um, multi-bagger expert with EXPEL. Uh, multi-bagger you're, you're to like hopefully that. follow that up with another one for us and we, I can't wait to hear what he has to pitch to us. So he's our first
2: investor. Very good. Paul, take it away. Hey, thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Maj. Uh, my name is Paul Andriola, and uh, today's uh, company that I'm going to pitch is a company called Vitality Products, symbol is VPI.V, VPRF in the US. And uh, for disclosure, I am a shareholder of the company. Um, So Vitality Products Company that I like to say is punching above its weight class. Um, It's an award-winning line of clean vitamins and supplements. marketed to natural health retailers and health conscious uh, consumers. Uh, The company, manufactures its products locally here in British Columbia, Canada, and currently sold uh, in 600 stores in Canada and online on Amazon. Uh, Following the proven success of the line through repeat orders and same-store sales growth, the company is focused on expanding distribution and growing sales in-store and online, evaluating, researching, and developing new products for future distribution, and exploring new markets for its products. Uh, Vitality operates in the health and wellness industry, uh, which, of course, is an extremely rapidly growing sector. Uh, the market size for vitamins and supplements is currently estimated at about one, uh, uh, sorry, $152 billion US and is estimated to grow at a CAGR of 8.6% to $272 billion by 2028. And the US alone is about $50 billion a year. Um, the company currently has 11 products on the market and sells them through the 600 retailers in Canada, including Whole Foods and Healthy Planet. Uh, The company also sells their products, like I mentioned earlier, through Amazon and their own website at vitality.ca. Their leading product is an award-winning iron supplement called Power Iron Plus. Uh, Just launched six months ago and already is over 50% of the company sales. Um, Now, according to the World Health Organization, iron deficiency is the top nutritional disorder in the world. And it's suggested that as many as 30% of population have anemia due to prolonged iron deficiency. Uh, in the us iron deficiency anemia is estimated to be an issue for between two and five percent of the female population and so we believe it's vital for a company like vitality to have a lead product that the company can build brand awareness around and leverage to help introduce new products now, the company also has a total of 101 natural product numbers this means 101 formulations or in this case 90 new additional products that have been approved by health canada So the company has no shortage of new products to add to the current lineup. Uh, We believe the company is well positioned to be able to grow within the health and wellness sector and that growth will be attained through expanding product offerings, new territories including the largest US market, new online initiatives including Amazon, direct to consumer via its own website and probably the most exciting in our opinion, a new subscription purchase uh, model. Um, So vitamins and supplements offer a category for subscription as it is a regularly consumed product, Uh, the customer knows what they need to purchase, offers easy ability to offer new product offerings at point of purchase, and is small and lightweight for shipping. Um, Having established itself in the Canadian health and wellness market, the company is now well poised to invest in marketing. Um, The company is now properly funded to deploy traditional marketing programs. It's interesting to note that Vitality has grown approximately 500% in the last four years with almost zero marketing spend. Uh, it grew its revenues in 2019 by over $200,000 uh, with, with the measly 30,000 spend on marketing. Uh, management, uh, the company's female run, which is an important point to consider as most supplement purchases are made by females in households. Uh, it's important to understand the decision-making process. Uh, women are more likely than men to take supplements. Most notably, those over 50, where roughly 65% of women use uh, supplements versus 42.5% of men. Uh, So the CEO, Cheryl Grant, also has extensive brand building and marketing experience, having worked for TELUS and Best Buy in that role. And the management team has punched holes into retail shelves. uh, And these relationships have been established with with the retail leaders. So these relationships will help uh, when they're launching those new products into retail. So as far as revenues, the revenues are, are small, but growing. The company generated 200, just over $200,000 in Q3, which was up 27% from the same period last year and $600,000 for the first nine months. And currently the company has an annual run rate of about $800,000. But uh, it is interesting to note, the online sales through Amazon and their online store grew by about 400% in 2020. And we believe this will continue to be a driver of accelerating revenue growth in the future. Uh, high gross margins, the company generates uh, roughly 72% uh, gross margins versus an industry average of 36%. And we think that the mix of high gross margins and revenue growth will have a dramatic impact on profit growth. Um, At 800K per year, uh, the company is near break even and uh, with a small loss in Q3 of about $45,000. The company need only grow by about 70,000 per quarter to reach uh, full break even. Um, The balance sheet is uh, a bit seething Because as of Q3, the company had about 2.3 million current liabilities versus only 1 million in current assets. However, 2.1 million of that 2.3 is owed to the largest insiders, which were the family of the CEO and CFO at zero interest. The balance sheet will be somewhat strengthened as there's a financing that's being closed right now for roughly a million dollars. So in our opinion, without that concern of the current liabilities, the new capital is going to be used for marketing inventory. Uh, which has stifled their ability to grow in the past. Okay, so the company also owns a five-acre investment property in Washington State, which is accounted for at cost, but is likely increased uh, significantly in value, and according to management, may be considered um, for for sale uh, at some point to bolster the cash position. Uh, Vitality has approximately 2.9 million in tax loss carry forwards, which uh, which should help uh, shield future profits from income tax. So, the closing price of roughly 28 cents market cap is 10 million. With the recent financing, uh, market cap will be about 11.6 million. Uh, note that there will be also roughly 9 million warrants, uh, 25 cents, uh, which, if exercise, is going to add about two, 2.3 million in cash. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, uh, fully diluted shares outstanding is roughly 53 million. So, in summary, uh, we believe Vitaly products offer uh, a strong risk-reward opportunity for risk-tolerant investors. Uh, the company is still small, but has a reasonably low market cap, it has strengthened its balance sheet and raised cash, which will be used to accelerate its revenue growth. It has laid the groundwork for strong potential upside by having gained shelf space and leading uh, retailers across Canada, and established a strong brand and recognition in the industry. With high margin products and revenue growth, uh, we should see a strong impact on the bottom line. Uh, the company near profitability uh, would result in any excess cash flow uh, helping to increase further growth. So, Vitality has several growth opportunities by expanding its product line at very low cost, as many products are approved and ready to launch. You can expand geographically into the large US and international markets, and the company can further grow its online sales through both Amazon and its online store. But perhaps the greatest opportunity we see for growth is the commencement of the subscription model where the company can capture and leverage a growing long-term revenue stream. So, so we view Vitality products shares as a compelling opportunity at current prices. The end.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Bobby. Hey, and you want to introduce our next investor who's giving
1: their pitch? yeah that, hey thanks Bobby yeah that will be Andrew Walker from yet another value blog and um love to hear this pitch. I'd love to have him on the way the crowd soon too we haven't had him on yet.
0: oh hell yeah he he's awesome. I had him on planet microcap he's he's the man. so that's record
1: for being here Andrew <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right Bobby Maj, uh, thanks so much for having me here. It's great to be here for those of you who don't know me. I'm Andrew Walker. I'm a portfolio manager at Rangy Capital and uh, I run a moderately popular finance blog, blog.com, as well as an even more, even less, more, I'm not sure, moderately popular podcast, uh, Yet Another Value podcast. Um, You know, my my podcast is generally centered around people pitching ideas to me where I'm kind of critiquing, pushing back, learning about it. So it's a little bit different for me to be on the other side of the chair here, but I will try to do my best. Uh, The company I want to talk about today is Wide Open West. The ticker is WOW, and I'm hoping that's what all of you think when I'm done with this pitch. Wow, that was amazing, but we'll see. I am a shareholder of WOW. Uh, WOW is a cable overbuilder. And a cable overbuilder, it's pretty simple. It is the second cable company that comes into a city, right? So most cities have a Spectrum, which is owned by Charter or a Comcast, which uh, Comcast plus Xfinity, whatever. Most cities have that. A cable overbuilder is going to come in and they're going to compete. They're going to build out a cable network and they're going to compete. So... I live in New York City. I get my internet and cable through Spectrum, which Charter owns. But uh, RCN over here has overbuilt New York City. So in my building, I could either get RCN cable or Charter cable. Uh, And in addition, New York's kind of unique in that Verizon Fios also overbuilt with fiber. So I actually have three options. Um, Now, overbuilding traditionally is actually an awful business, just terrible. Everyone who has gotten into it has either left or gone bankrupt because the returns, it's just an uneconomic business. Uh, You know, this goes back to, for years, Google Fiber was the big scary guy. They were gonna roll out, they did Kansas City, a bunch of other places. They were gonna take over the country. Google, Google Fiber, Google, the company that prints billions and billions of dollars of cash flow a year, looked at Google Fiber and said, oh, my gosh, this is uneconomic. We can't keep doing this. Rise and FIO stopped. AT&T dramatically slowed. Every cable overbuilder has gone bankrupt. So it is a traditionally awful business to go into. However, with WoW, what I look at here is I look and I say, all right, these assets, ignore that it's costly and too expensive to build this. These assets are built. So let's just go look at WoW. As you know, what are the assets currently earning? Forget about what they cost to build in the past. And uh, I think when you look at WoW today, WoW is extremely cheap. Uh, as I am talking, WoW share price is about $13.50 per share, a little bit over $1 billion in market cap, and a little bit over uh, approaching $3.5 billion in enterprise value. Uh, this company does. They did 400 and, about 440 million EBITDA last year. I think in the next year we should be looking at about a 500 million dollar EBITDA run rate as they kind of penetrate some of their edge outs and everything. We I'll, I'll talk about that later. But the bottom line is Wow trades at less at about eight times EBITDA. There are no perfect publicly traded peers for Wow. You know the only there's only five publicly traded cable players. There's Wow and then there's Cabo, Charter, Comcast, and Altice. The other four are not cable overbuilders. They're all pure play cable companies. So there's no cable overbuilder that's publicly traded. However, in the past year, there have been several deals in the cable space. The, the best deal to compare is Astound, which actually owns RCN, the cable overbuilder I talked about earlier. Astound traded late last year for about 13 times EBITDA. And again, this is the best peer for a while. They're not a pure play cable overbuilder, but most of their EBITDA is from an overbuilder. And actually, if you listen to WoW's calls, they will frequently let everyone know that they are very aware of the Astound transaction. They think it is a great comp for them. And in fact, they've had discussions internally about selling some of their systems at an Astound-like multiple. So Astound went for 13 times EBITDA. And because WoW was so levered, if you slapped a 13 times EBITDA multiple on WoW, we'd be talking about about a $40 per share stock, roughly. Uh, we've also seen a couple of other cable assets trade in the past year. Again, these tend to be cable pure plays, not cable overbuilders, but Altice and Cabo both did deals that are at greater than 15 times EBITDA. If you go and you look up in Canada, Shaw Rogers, uh, that deal was struck at a massive premium to the public share price. And even if you look at cable-like assets like uh, Cincinnati Broadband and Alaska Communications in the past year, we've seen bidding wars where infrastructure, uh, infrastructure funds are actually paying huge multiples and huge premiums to get into these assets. Uh, so my bottom line is there is demand for WoW as a strategic target. It is very cheap. And if you've slapped any type of strategic multiple on them, uh, WoW share price would be up substantially, in part because they're cheap and in part because they're quite levered. Uh, and one of the interesting things with WoW is, the C- again, the CFO and CO have made very clear they are aware of this public-to-private discrepancy in multiples, and they would be willing to sell systems to unlock value. Uh, so, you know, that's my big first takeaway. WoW is cheap. But WoW isn't just cheap. I think both their business and their financials are about to flex upward. Let me start with their business. Traditionally, uh, cable overbuilders face a big disadvantage because traditionally cable was about providing video. And when you provide video, you know, uh, the cable company has to go to all the video programmers and negotiate rates. And when Comcast would go to someone like a Discovery or a CBS, they had 30 million video subs. So they could go and negotiate with the strength of 30 million video subs behind them. WoW only has 300,000 video subs. So they're negotiating with literally 1% of the video subs. WoW would have to do higher pricing to every single video provider they had which means that Comcast chartered these guys had a big pricing advantage, right? They negotiated cheaper rates with the video providers. They could pass that cheaper rate to you. So when you went and compared video pricing between WoW and Comcast, Comcast was cheaper and Comcast had a huge edge there. That goes away in a cord cutting world going forward. Going forward, we're gonna be in a more and more pure play broadband world where people subscribe to Netflix and everything else on the side. Now it's just WoW versus Comcast for broadband. Both of them have already laid that fiber into your house. There should be no cost advantage for Comcast going forward. So I think WoW is set to, uh, their business is set to inflect upwards because of that trend. Uh, Then there's also a financial inflection. Uh, The company's cash flow is about to inflect upwards massively. And there's two reasons for that. Uh, First, they have a term loan that they priced uh, and they fixed their LIBOR at 2.67%. Anyone who knows what LIBOR is at now, it's a lot lower than that. Uh, that hedge, that fixing, will come off over the summer. And because they're so levered, that's actually a really dramatic interest expense reduction. It's gonna be about $40 million per year in increased, increased cash flow just from this interest expense reduction. Again, this is a $1 billion market cap company with massive NOLs, so they don't pay any taxes. So that $40 million will drop straight to the to the bottom line. And that is a huge number for a company of file size. The second reason that uh, it, their cash flow is going to increase is because. Historically, they've been focused on edge outs, which is where they take their network and you know it's all across New York, New York City and they edge it out and they add a little bit more of New York City to it. Those haven't done well, again, for all the uneconomic overbuilder reasons we discussed. And the CFO and CEO are committed to reducing those. So from 2017 to 2019, they spent $250 million per year in CapEx. They did $235 million in 2020. I think they can get below $200 million within a year or two. Uh, so look, last year, EBITDA was $437 million. Operating cash flow less CapEx was $32 million. This year year and next year, I think they'll start approaching $500 million in EBITDA. CapEx comes down from $250 to $200. Interest expense comes down by maybe $50 million as that LIBOR hedge comes off and as uh, they get some natural deleveraging from paying down debt. Uh, Bottom line, OCF less CapEx was $32 million last year. I think we're easily going to be approaching $150 million within the next uh, year or two. And so that's the overall thing, You know, $150 million in free cash flow to equity on a billion-dollar company. That is a lot of equity, uh, a lot of free cash flow. Uh, and the last thing I'll mention is in the medium term, I think they're a seller. Uh, they have a private equity firm, Crestview, that is a semi-controlling shareholder, owns about a third of the shares. They got involved in 2015. I think they're going to want to sell in the next two to three years. Uh, if you look at their history, they've been very successful with cable assets and with uh premium sales. I think that's the case here. And I think in the next two to three years, you know, again, I said an astound multiple would be $40 per share in a sale. I think the next two to three years, we're looking at a sale. And uh, you know, I I would be very surprised if the number didn't start with a three, four, or maybe if this plays out right, five. So uh with that, I will toss it back to you guys. Thank you guys so much for having me.
0: And Amash, who's our next investor pitch for today's episode?
1: Be Richard Howe, he was a guest on the With The Crowd podcast. Um, and he um, has a site called StockSpinoffInvesting.com. And I uh, really love his special situation style of investing
4: and can't wait to hear his pitch.
0: Very good. Rich, take it away.
4: Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for joining me. And thank you to, to Bobby and Maj for inviting me to present. I uh, really feel honored to be included. Big fans of both Bobby and Maj. So uh, this is awesome. All right. Today, I'm going to talk about my favorite investment idea. This is actually my largest personal holding. It's a company called Medexus Pharma. And I think it's a very low risk uh, company that could uh, go up many fold over the next couple of years. So let's let's get into it, uh, but first let's uh, cover my disclaimer. So I own the stock. Um, all expressions are subject to change, and um, basically this information is just for your informational use only. Uh, yada yada yada. Okay, let's get into the actual presentation. Okay, so the basics are: Medexus Pharma is a Canadian specialty pharma company. If you look at the right-hand side of the slide, you can see that they've been growing revenue incredibly quickly and they've just transitioned to profitability. So they were generating uh, very little EBITDA in 2019. They're generating a lot more, you know, over 10 times more, or not quite 10 times more, but significantly more in 2020. And the growth going forward is going to be astronomical. It's uh, I think they're going to be able to triple or quadruple revenue over the next three or four years. And uh, so that presents a really interesting opportunity. Okay, so what exactly, um, let's, I guess, take a little bit of a step back and talk about what exactly Medexis Pharma um, does. So it is essentially a specialty pharma company where they basically focus on buying drugs and licensing drugs that are complementary to one another so that they, they can use a small, specialized sales force to sell those drugs to the same doctors or the same group of doctors. So they get economies of scale. It's a really, um, really interesting model. Uh, in terms of the drugs that are currently in their portfolio, the big ones are are uh, Metojack, which is a, uh, it's that, that's sold in Canada. It's, a, it's an injectable methotrexate Drug, so it's injectable methotrexate. You can take methotrexate orally or by injection. This this version is is an injectable, and it's used to treat rheumatoid arthritis, and psoriasis. It's growing about twenty percent year over year, so a nice grower. Um, is a hemophilia drug, which I know well, because they bought it from Aptivo, which is a company that I, I know. And, uh, it is a drug that last disclosed was growing at about 40% per year there. They have ongoing pediatric trials. That's going to increase the market size for Xenity by 50%. So a lot of run rate runway to go for Xenity. And then RUPAL is another drug. And this is more of a, just a seasonal allergies drug that's sold in Canada, um, it is growing year over year at about 43%. And so the portfolio right now is growing incredibly quickly, uh, about 70% in the last quarter. But the big news is that recently the company Medexus announced that they announced or they uh, closed another licensing deal where they are going to be licensing this drug right here called triosulfan. And this is is a huge opportunity, which is definitely not reflected in the current share price of Medexus. Okay, so you take the existing portfolio, you add the potential of Triosulfan, and you get to a $350 to $400 million uh, peak revenue potential, which I estimate they're going to hit by 2023, 20, 2024. Uh, guidance from management is that they are going to be in the the, the mid to, to high 40 EBITDA margins. So just assuming a 40% EBITDA margin gets you to $140 million of EBITDA there's no CapEx in this business. So you subtract, you know, whatever you want, uh, for, uh, for, um, taxes. And this business is going to be generating over hundred million of free cash flow starting in, in, probably 2023, 2024 timeframe. So this is incredibly, um, cheap versus <laughs> their current enterprise value and market cap, as you'll see on the next slide, let's take a step back. What exactly is TrioSulfine? So this is a, it's a basic conditioning agent for um, patients that are going to undergo stem cell transplants before um, they do, uh, it's, it's a conditioning agent given to uh, patients that have MDS or ADS, which is a blood, which are two different types of blood cancers, uh, so that they respond better to stem cell transplants. The benefit of triosulfan is it's much more, it has lower side effects. And it has much better efficacy than the current standard of care, Busulfan, which, when it wasn't generic, generated 126 million of sales. So this drug is superior to Busulfan, um, and Busulfan generated 126 million of of sales. And so there's a huge runway for growth for Triosulfan to eventually exceed the, the peak sales number of biodiesel fan because it's going to be used in in AMS, um, AML, or MDS, AML, but also a lot of uh, different conditions, probably more off-label. So long story short, revenue is probably going to triple or quadruple over the next couple of years. This is a business that is going to have very high margins at scale. And so you're going to have an extremely profitable cash generative business with basically no debt. So there's going to be um, a lot of earnings power looking out a couple of years. Okay. So let's put it all together. Um, the, the diluted market cap calculation is a little complicated. And this uh, threw me off a little bit when I was initially looking at Medexas. But the way to think about Medexas is on a fully diluted basis. They have debentures outstanding, but those are convertible into common stock at six dollars and thirty-five cents. The stock's above six dollars and thirty-five cents, so I'm assuming those debentures are fully converted. There are warrants that are currently range between you know two dollars and ten dollars, but I expect the stock to be significantly higher than ten dollars in a, by a couple of years, and so I'm assuming that all those warrants are converted, and as a result, Medexis gets um, some of the cash um, that those warrant holders would have to. Um, give up to exercise those warrants. So if you look on a fully diluted basis, basically this is a company that right now, or looking out a couple of years is going to, but at at the current market price is going to have a current enterprise value of $244 million. And you compare that to $140 million of EBITDA, which is my 2023 EBITDA, uh, 2023 estimate, and the stock is trading at about 1.7 times EBITDA. What should it trade at? What's a fair multiple? I don't know, but a company that is generating tons of free cash flow um, has high barriers to entry, um, has a very solid business model, um, you know. it could trade at 15 or 20 times EBITDA. I'm just assuming it trades at 10 times EBITDA Uh, Peers, you know, slower growing peers trade at 16 times EBITDA, but let's just assume it trades at 10 times, 10 times 140 gets you to a $1.4 billion enterprise value. And then uh, if you just run the math and um, basically, you know, add cash and subtract debt from that $1.4 billion enterprise value, it gets you to a $41 Canadian share price and a $32, a uh, uh, U.S. share price. The stock's right now a little bit over six on U.S. markets. I'm a U.S. investor, so that's what I own. So, you know, looking out a couple of years, I think this could be. You know, if if my estimates are right, uh, this would be a five bagger and would be an 84% IRR investment. Again, it's my biggest uh, biggest holding. The nice thing too is from a risk perspective, I don't think the risks are all very manageable. It's all basically. Operational ri- risks, which, um, you know, operational execution, Medexus has to execute well and, um, you know, sell the drugs that they've licensed, but they are, uh, they're going to be doing that. They have a good track record of doing that. And so that's not a risk that I'm particularly too concerned with. Um, and then the other the other news is that this is a company that is probably going to be uplisted um to the NASDAQ very soon. So that'll be a nice catalyst because it'll uh, make this company available to be seen from US investors, not just Canadian companies. So that's all I got. I wanted to be brief. I think my time limit is five minutes. I probably went over by a little bit, but hopefully not too much. Um, but but that's all I got. So thanks again for having me, Bobby. Thanks, Maj. Yeah, so um, check me out at stockspinoffinvesting.com. Uh, I publish a bunch of free content, but if you want uh, my premium content, you know what I actually own, you know investment ideas like Medexus, uh, you can subscribe there.
0: And Maj, last up on our investor pitches, uh, who, who do we got here?
4: We got Kelvin Sito, also
1: um, another individual you have on the when the Co- uh, crowd podcast. He hasn't been on yet, so I really love his Twitter feed and. Um, some of his thoughts and ideas on Twitter. So I'm
5: really excited to hear his pitch. So everybody enjoy Kelvin, take it away. Thank you, much. Thank you, Bobby, for inviting me to this uh, small sharing session. And my name is Kelvin Sito. And on Twitter, you can find me on Slingshot Cat. And for today, I'm gonna to pitch this company called ClearPoint Neuro. And for a full disclaimer, I actually own shares in this company. And if you would like to buy this share or, or sell this share, please consult a Financial Advisor. Um, This is just for educational purpose only. So let's get straight into it right now. So to introduce the company to all of you, uh, ClearPoint is actually a medical platform device company that enables therapies for the most complex neuro disorders with pinpoint accuracy. So in short, what does it do? It helps neurosurgeons to conduct their uh, surgeries with uh, precise uh, accuracy so that, you know, um, the surgeries can go well and go very smoothly. And second is that the products are being used to perform deep brain stimulation uh, procedures. And finally, um, this company has a patent portfolio of over 89 issued patents in United States and over 184 uh, worldwide patents. So let me just share with you the current products that they have. So um, there are some products that are one-off sale, uh, such as the hardware, uh, which refers to the head frame, the computer workstation, uh, the compatible uh, a monitor, and also the software, right? But while it's a one-time sale, uh, occasionally there are uh, uh, maintenance that's required, which uh, forms part of the reoccurring sale. But what is really the, 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 the sale, uh, what is really the reoccurring sales that we are looking for is the accessories, right? And, uh, such as a smart frame controller and a cannula. So every time a procedure is being done, a new set of smart frame controller and cannula is being done. So it's essentially they, they are following the footsteps of this company called Intuitive Surgical whereby they're adopting this razor, razor and razor Blade revenue model uh, where we think that the long-term uh, uh, revenue strip sources will be 15% from capital equipment and 85% from single-use disposal and services. So currently ClearPoint uh, therapy platform is being used in many areas. So first, I just want to talk about their platform is very compatible with all major scanners, uh, so Sim, uh, Siemens, uh, GE Philips, these are the common scanners that uh, you see in the operating theatres in hospitals. And the second is that um, a lot of biotech companies uh, who are attempting to solve some of the worst, uh, biggest neural neuro problems around, around the world. Um, there are names like uh, uh, PTC Therapeutics, uh, we have names like uh, Lysogen and Charles River. And because they recognize that the value of uh, ClearPoint is to provide that precise uh, accuracy, they decided to partner up with ClearPoint and to use them to deliver their drugs to the patient so currently right now uh ClearPoint technologies um uh, 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 platform is already being used in some of the clinical trials already okay so let's just move on so right now if you look at them uh one of the important thing to to monitor is actually their locations so currently um they are in 60 centers centers could refer to hospitals as well in united states canada and Uh, UE as well. So what I want to highlight over here is that if you take notice, right, they are currently in the UC San Francisco, they are in Mayo Clinic, they are in John Hopkins University. And these names are really important because these are the names that are the top uh, 10 neurosurgery hospitals. So having, you know, a, a, a machine in all these hospitals is a form of validation that their technology right now is being used by the top neurosurgeons Um, around the United States, Canada and UE as well Um, and what's more important is that we do not just look at it from the point of view of the company but let's hear it from the neurosurgeons as well so all of them have gave um, some of the comments about uh, what ClearPoint could do uh, for their procedures so for example, if you look at the top right hand corner Dr. John mentioned that having ClearPoint is to assure accuracy was critical to successful ablation of the tumour and in the middle is Dr. Uh, Mark Richardson he says that you know we are very concerned about changes in distance of millimeter or two Uh, this can be critical and we want that error to be in order of no more than a milliliter so that's really really um, no room for error because just imagine where you are poking poking into the brain uh, if you poke the wrong nerve that could actually create some uh, uh, long-term negative uh, consequences for the well-being of the patient so knowing where to uh, uh, uh knowing the location is really critical to get the drug to where the nerve is all right so if you look at these reviews they are saying that clearpoint has really that added benefit and advantages as compared to other competitors so as we look at this business we look at a few uh, uh growth plans that they have so number one is to work with more biotech companies to deliver uh drugs to the patients and this is what we refer as the biologics and the drug delivery. And second is the deep brain simulation navigation. So over time, uh, they hope that more hospitals will use ClearPoint as the platform to to actually insert uh, electrodes for the deep brain simulation. And I'll talk about it later on. And the third thing is the new therapy devices. And finally, is to expand the footprint, meaning to install more machines in more hospitals around the world. So let's talk about the first pillar of growth that they have so over here if you look at it um, we have a lot of uh, neural uh, diseases that we, we still do not have a cure for for example you talk about Parkinson's disease you talk about uh, glycoblastoma you talk about aadc so today a lot of biotech companies they are attempting to solve this problem um, so while they can actually create a drug but they need a device to deliver the drug right into the the, the brain right and not just any parts of the brain but a precise part of the brain and this is why they have chosen clearpoint to be that delivery platform right clearpoint is the platform that helps this biotech deliver the drug into the patient's brain so if you look at addressing market it's really huge i think there's estimate of 1.5 billion market opportunity so let's move on okay so right now um these are common partners uh pdc therapeutics uh, lysogen medicine. Center as well. Um, so as all of you know, a drug once it hits phase 3, uh, most likely it'll be commercialized and it'll be, become uh, an official product that you know patient could use to solve um, the specific, uh, specific disease that they have. So in this case for PTC uh, right now they are in trial phase 3. So I think given some time maybe uh, in, in, in the second half of this year uh, they might see a full commercialization. Uh, for lysogen um, I think it's right now it's phase 2 and 3 so it ongoing and expected to be concluded in year uh, 2022 then you have bandacena as well which is currently phase 2b so what happens is that if if any of these three or if all of them goes through um, and and guess what the patient that could actually uh, uh, use their uh, drugs would definitely increase dramatically and, and and as a result you know they would order more cannula. Uh, more uh, smart frames controller from Clearpoint so Clearpoint does not have to spend a lot of sales and marketing but they will just get a big burst of orders because all these drugs are being approved uh, by uh, FDA okay so the second pillar that i want to talk about is the deep uh, brains navigation so today um, there are a lot of neurological disorders such as uh, uh, epilepsy, uh, tumor and also uh, Parkinson's disease so how do you actually solve them right so today, unfortunately, we do not have a long-term solution. We only have a short-term solution, which is implanting el- electrodes in, uh, within certain parts of the brain. But uh, How do you know, how do you pinpoint which are the areas to actually plant the leads? Well, um, you need a ClearPoint machine to do that, which is why ClearPoint is the one that's providing the navigation for the neurosurgeons so that they know exactly what are the areas to actually plant um, these uh, uh, leads as well. Okay, So um, at the end of the day, um, they can do it uh while the patient is awake or asleep so traditionally they are doing it uh awake but you know just imagine you as a patient having your brain being open while you're awake that is not really something uh nice to talk about so with clearpoint uh, it enables a patient to do a sleep deep brain stimulation navigation and i think that's actually more beneficial uh, for the patient and for the hospital as well so you look at the total address market for deep brain stimulation. I think currently ClearPoint has 7% market share. So this goes to show that there is a huge market out there for ClearPoint to penetrate even further. And I want to talk a little bit more about the laser ablation, which is a new product that they're creating. Uh, it is to uh, remove tumors, right? So it's just a laser prop that goes into a, 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 a targeted part of the brain. To it and using heat to destroy the unwanted cell okay so this is a product um, that they're releasing in the next few quarters and i think that uh, in this uh, uh, product if they're able to do that then you know per procedure they're going to earn a lot more money so for example right now they're just earning six thousand dollars which is performing the navigation procedure but if they are providing the laser as well then they could potentially earn about eighteen thousand dollars per case so that's kind of increasing Um, The revenue that they're going to earn per procedure. All right, so let's move on. So, I think the global footprint that they are expecting to grow is that um, currently they are in the US, but they want to grow in Europe. And I think right now they also want to have the capacity to cover approximately over uh, 3,000 cases per year. So, that's a huge increase because currently they are just managing uh, somewhere below 1,000 cases, but increasing it by three times, that's really huge. All right. So, competitors, I think there are a few. Uh, one of them is rosa but rosa i think the downside is that you have to drill 15 holes into the patient brain uh, uh, just think about it right 15 holes that's, that's that's a lot and that may not be something desirable from the perspective of the patient there's also another competitor called Medtronic, which is um they have this stealth machine uh but as we can see is that um they have some problems with it and there's some concerns from fda about their product uh, uh, uh registration feature so I don't think they are really strong competitors to ClearPoint uh, right now because um, they have um, certain expect which pale in comparison you know, with ClearPoint Europe. We talk about the management team. I think uh, uh, Joseph Burnett uh, came in uh, somewhere two years ago, uh, cl- close to two years ago, uh, and he turned around the company. So right now he, earned, he has about 3.4% ownership of the company. But what's notable about this gentleman is that when he came into the business he also brought along his team members from his previous companies so you can see that in september august july may you know he started to bring in his own people into the company and since then the business has transformed uh, dramatically right in terms of the uh investor presentations in uh, and in terms of execution ability as well okay um valuation if we look at it uh currently because of covid19 i think the cases that they have done have dropped Quite a little bit but you are bound to increase and recover and for the the biologics you can see that um, for the year 2020 you have doubled right have grown more than 100 percent i can tell you there are a lot of uh, clinical partners that are dying to use clearpoint technology because clearpoint gives them the assurance that the drug will be uh, delivered and administered to the right parts of the brain so currently they have uh, 25 uh, partners clinical partners that are working with and they are likely to expand to 75 partners. Uh, what I mean is that right now they have 25 partners, but on top of that, they are 75 potential partners. So just think about the kind of pipeline of customers they have, and the kind of visibility and revenue growth that they will uh, expect to receive in the next few years. All right. Um, I think we talk about the market opportunity. Uh, right now there's more than uh, uh, 55,000 uh, potential neurosurgical procedures that's doing per year so I think point in the long term should be able to capture 10% of the market and if they are able to do that you know I do really see that potentially they are going to earn about 76.3 uh, million dollars in revenue um, and also you know should any of their clinical trials uh, go through or uh, what I mean is their customers clinical trial goes, goes through um, you know in terms of uh revenue potential in terms of operating profit potential is going to be there as well so we do some illustration if they capture 10% or 20% of the total address market what kind of revenue they're going to receive what kind of operating profit that they're going to receive as well so in terms of the modeling we are assuming a 30% uh, operating profit margin All right okay so now let's talk about the valuation right so right now if I'm just looking at the the functional navigation uh, revenue uh, the potential of 76.3 million uh, we do think that currently the business should be worth about uh, should have an enterprise value of 686.7 um, million dollars but what i'm saying is that in this business because of the biologics it represents a lot of embedded core options or rather we can call it the moonshots so what i'm saying is that if any of the partners such as Uh, PDC, uh lysogen or medicina goes through right and they, and let's say they just capture 10 percent of the total addresser market we potentially can see that this business uh could work up to one billion dollars right so now i've come to the end of my uh, short pitch on neural uh, clearpoint i hope you have enjoyed um, this uh, short sharing thank you bobby and Marsh.
1: hello this is maj sweden co-founder of Geo investing glad to be here in a bobby's event and, um, you know, I wanted to give a pitch on a company, uh, Conatel, uh, but I decided, hey, why not better just interview management as part of my pitch? So I have here today Sean McEwen, the CEO of Conatel. Um, and uh, for full disclosure, I do own shares of Conatel. Just I bought the stock uh, in uh, this year, 2021, at around, I think, 40, 50 cents originally, and at some lower prices also interest' in you konatel know, um, participates in the cloud communication industry and um, if you have followed geo investing or or myself um, and some of my investments recently in the recent years I've kind of been attracted to this industry and I own other stocks so um when this came across my plate as a potential company to look at I was pretty excited actually it came across my plate from um, Chris plum who's a uh, Meyer Cap Investor, and I really appreciate this idea, um, was forwarded to me by him. And so, and we wrote an article about the company on geo investing by one of our research contributors, and uh, Glenn Boxamundi. This is, um, I'm sure I butchered that name, but <clears throat> <laughs> so we have here Sean today. And um, so, hey, Sean, great to be here. I really love interacting with you over the last few several weeks. So, let's go right into it. Awesome. Um, Thanks, Maj. And um, why don't you start by giving us, hey, you're quick, hey, what do you do?
6: What do I do? What do we do? Um, in about one sentence, I would say that we are a we're a software company first, uh, meaning that we we build and develop our, our own software applications inside. But we take that software, put it into a cloud format, and through that, uh, we deliver hosted, um telecommunications and data services for a small and medium-sized business
1: great and i want to get right into a, the, the first question that everyone's probably gonna have here who follows this industry is how are you different i mean there's there's so many different companies in the ucast you got <clears throat> you got different labels that of, of different uh, uh cast you know labels here so why don't you go over those you know ucast pcast right is that right Sure, uh, um, and talk about where you fit in that and how you're different or complementary to some of these other companies.
6: Okay, um, real quick, UCAS, uh, UCAS companies are probably far more prevalent than CPAS companies. UCAS, the the acronym, you know, our industry is filled with all these acronyms, stands for uh, uh, University uh, universe, uh, Unified Communications as a Service. Unified Communications. UCAS providers are typically provide hosted. Hosted phone systems, voice, SMS systems, um, where, in fact, if you look behind me on my desk, that, that desk phone back there, that's a, a UCAS uh, hosted PBX or business phone system. CPAS stands for Communications Platform as a Service. You might think of us as we're the, the guys behind the curtain, um, where a UCAS provider. Uh, interacts with the customer, providing that, that desk phone in the office, we may in turn, depends on the UCAS providers, we'll provide the dial tone to them, the phone numbers to them, we'll route the calls, terminate the calls. And we've even morphed over the last couple of years, we started just as see pass, but really expanded into more of a generic platform as a service or pass company. And when I say, uh, pass besides communication, because we also provide Data services, so we provide voice, SMS, data, SD WAN, a whole uh, litany now of services based on the platform that we own. We own a national network uh, with multiple points of presence throughout the United States. So, um, like I said, kind of the guys behind the curtain, you might say.
1: Great. So, some of the other companies that let's take that aren't, you know, in the the platform um, portion of this. They might have a few things here or a very very targeted solutions. And if they wanted to add a solution, I'd have to maybe even use someone like you or have to, or build the a, a solution themselves or go acquire a company. So you're basically this one-stop kind of solution for maybe even a UCaaS company to add pieces to their platform, right? Or to their service offering.
6: We could, in fact, a UCaaS company could host its voice platform within within our larger network. Um, Similar, you might say, to like an Amazon AWS. So we could we could provide uh, servers to them. Uh, They could host their that that, again that UCAS platform and highly integrated into our voice data and SMS network. Um, I probably didn't even mention we even have um, we even provide mobile services. So besides fixed line. We provide mobile voice and mobile data solutions. Some people refer to mobile data as IoT is kind of one of the hot, hot buzzwords there. A recognizable public company we could compare you to that people
1: would know they are a bigger company maybe?
6: Um, on the CPaaS side, or the, the voice and messaging were similar to, to a Twilio. Um, we provide some of the same uh, voice services as Vonage. We don't Currently have a UCAS offering today, and that's really by design. It's something that we might add in the future, and because we have the platform, um, it's not uh, as difficult to spin up uh, a UCAS offering. So those are those are a couple of companies uh, that that people might know of that were are similar to, which is not not as big as they are. Great.
1: So before we get into some of the different <clears throat> revenue sources of your business, now actually there's other pieces of your business too. You have a this, this lifeline business I really wanna get into. Um, sure, sure. But why so, don't you wanna give us a little, little brief uh, brief kind of elevator pitch on that piece of the business. Right,
6: right. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so real quick at a, at a high level, um, we have probably two, two main segments in the company of hosted services. So those hosted services, what we've been talking about, CPaaS services, platform services, um, DIP services. Um, and then we have our mobile, mobile services. And mobile services includes regular cellular, wholesale and retail cellular service to small businesses. We don't, we don't uh, provide uh, services to really to consumers. Um, we go after the business market. And um, within that segment, within mobile services, um, we have uh, Lifeline Services, or it's basically what that is: is cellular service, uh, voice and data service, that's subsidized uh, by the government through a program that started started in 19, 1984. Um, you could probably trace the roots all the way back to the 1930s, but really, 1984, 84, 85, and the Telecommunications Act. During that time, under President Reagan, is when this program started. It was basically uh, a way to provide minimum basic phone service to low-income Americans, it's similar to providing other basic utilities like electricity. Um, and we hold uh, like is that like a track phone? Is that would that be one of those companies? <laughs> track phone is all right. So track phone was recently acquired by uh, Verizon. Um, track phone provides a service to consumers, but they also have a group within them that that uh, provides this government subsidized uh, phone service called called Lifeline. There are, oh gosh, the the count changes from time to time. There are around 11, maybe 12 companies, we're one of them that holds a national wireless Lifeline distribution license. And uh, that license comes from the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. And the FCC has not issued any new um, approved Lifeline Compliance Plan since 2012, so for nine years, it's basically a, a moratorium. You know what that license allows us to go out through the United States and apply to provide uh, Lifeline services at the individual state level. So right now we're, we have the so we have the national FCC license that we call that approved compliance plan, and then we have uh, eight states that we're authorized in um, today and um, and so through those those eight states we go out and provide uh, this cellular voice and data service and uh, through a fee collected on phone bills universal service access charge i think is the acronym usac um, the uh, money comes to us to us carriers to help offset the cost of that service so that service can be provided at at a very low low cost sometimes depends on the uh, what's bundled uh, sometimes at, at no cost and it's limited to uh, americans that uh that are that meet the um the threshold for uh for low income below the low income level typically these would be uh, people that might be receiving food stamps um, they might be living in uh, section 8 housing and um, we provide the service for a year Uh, And then after a year, if the the people still qualify, then they can re-up for another year. Thank you. Now, um, in terms of revenue
1: (coughs) between your segments, um, can you talk about that a little bit? And especially, maybe even break out a lifeline separately from everything else, too.
6: So um, uh, I would say um, we're almost evenly split between mobile services and hosted services. of the mobile services, or I would say Lifeline in general, accounts for about a 21, maybe 22 percent of our total uh, annual revenue. So we're not depending on it, or dependent on it. Um, you could probably say we don't have, you know, all of our eggs in one basket. We have a, I believe, a really diverse uh, suite of revenues between the hosted services, mobile services, data services, dip services. Um, there's about five, maybe six main streams of uh, revenue. And um, with the lifeline service was kind of interesting is uh, I look at it, it's almost a hedge during um, a downturn uh, in the economy. And we're, we're living through one right now with, uh, with COVID. And, um, and so it's nice to have that, uh, that, that revenue stream, um, especially during a uh, down economic time. And both your, you know, your, I guess your, um, your, your, your growth kind of
1: um, drivers right now <clears throat> were both companies that were, uh, I guess, uh, acquired, right? You acquired these companies, yes. Yeah, so a few years ago, so talk about that kind of acquisition strategy. Then, um, that okay. Kind of so I can tell
6: you real quick. Conatel started. I started Conatel in two thousand fourteen as a, a cellular reseller. We call that an MDNO, a mobile virtual network operator companies like TrackPhone, those are those are MVNOs uh, MVNOs typically we don't own our own cell towers um, we'll we'll buy capacity uh, from carriers like AT&T and Verizon and market under our own name so that's how Conatel started then in um, about 2016 I started to map out a strategy to diversify away from just exclusively cellular and this is before the company went public and I wanted to, I wanted to go back to my own Roots, my own software development roots. That's that's an area I understand pretty well, and and get into hosted services. I I, I thought it was important for Konatel to own uh, intellectual property, to own its own infrastructure, to have that tangible value. When you're just a reseller, you're buying something for a dollar and selling it for two, and you really don't you don't own that intellectual property. So, and,
1: and also you have this ability to kind of really guarantee quality, and uh, more so than these MBOs and those can kind of too. So you have a much more control of your network, um, more efficiency in the way it's delivered, I guess. Right, and just um, better quality. Yes. Um,
6: uh, kind of deviating then for a second along along that question, we we refer to this as um, extending the network to the edge. So, um, uh on that uh, is that's the hosted services company. And is one of the two wholly-owned subsidiaries of Conatel. It owns its own national network, and when I say owns it, it it owns the computers, the, the switches, the software. Um, it doesn't own the physical cables in the ground. I don't, even even companies like AT&T lease uh, uh, cables. Not all their cables, but cables and 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 um, and fiber optics through the ground, but. By owning owning our own national network, it allows us to control the quality. And Since we can control the quality, we can offer uh, what's called an SLA or a service level agreement. So by contract, we can give a guaranteed level of service to our customers. Because we own the network, we talk about, and we added SD-WAN, we can now extend our network right to the doorstep uh, of a company um right to their physical location so it allows us then to extend that sla right to the doorstep um i know that kind of we deviated there for a second but, but kind of back to the acquisition strategy so when conatel uh was mapped out that strategy in 2016 part of the strategy was for conatel to move into becoming a uh, a software holding or a, a communications a software holding company to acquire other companies and that was the purpose going public. So within the first year, I closed the first two acquisitions. One is uh, our hosted services company appear systems. And the other one is infinity mobile, which is that lifeline company. Um, And you were asking about lifeline earlier in that process. It took uh, almost three years just to find a a lifeline company we could acquire. And then it took uh, almost a full year just to get FCC approval you go through a pretty detailed background process your company uh, and the and the people running the company go through a a personal background uh, process evaluation so uh, it was about a three-year process to acquire uh, infinity mobile and that acquisition was finished in um, 2018. Uh, in fact both the acquisitions were finished in 2018 we haven't done any acquisitions since for almost two years because it's taken, it took about a year and a half just to incorporate the the two acquisitions into the company. We had some cleanup work to do on the Lifeline company. Um, and um, now that company is, uh, actually all our companies are, are basically debt-free now. Thank you. Why don't you, run?
1: so yeah, you acquire these in eight, 18, uh, Periana, like the Lifeline business, um, Maybe now can you discuss some of your growth you experienced over the last uh, couple of years? Three, uh, yes. Where, where, where you're sitting now, including your 2020 performance.
6: Okay. Um, growth Growth first started with uh, moving from, from negative earnings to positive earnings. Um, so when I talk about cleanup, um, one of the things we've been doing for the last couple of years is is shedding uh, the, a lot of the low margin Low low margin business, uh, that 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 took a while to to ease out of that business, um, especially when you're doing and that was your
1: MBO business basically your legacy business right a lot of yeah,
6: some of the some it was mostly the wholesale side of the of the of the legacy business exactly those were very very low margins some some were far below five percent so that just wasn't wasn't the business we wanted to be in you know that 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 can be a good business if you have enough volume. Um, but we're, we're after more of the, the higher margin, direct to small and medium-sized uh, business, those opportunities. Because with those opportunities, we can go and bundle services. We can bundle voice, we can bundle data, we can bundle mobile, we can bundle SD-WAN. And um, when you start bundling these services, your customer becomes a lot, lot more sticky um and you get good high margins so i i don't think i answered that question with you and that
1: was that was good so that's okay
6: okay. (laughs) Okay. we have a lot to talk about in a few minutes all
1: right i know i know i know it's difficult but um thank you bobby (laughs) um so let's 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 go to your 2020 performance where you're sitting right now Ah. talk about that a little bit what you accomplished what you want to accomplish and i want to really talk about Come back to Lifeline because a really big development happened recently in like the Lifeline business, which I think really is really got me excited. Okay.
6: So. Um, so from from 2019, so 2019 was uh, or uh, from 20 uh, 2019 to 2020, uh, I would say 2020 was kind of the cleanup year. Um, you can tell from uh, pre- uh, revenues went up slightly in uh, in 2020, and I think uh, it's about two two, two and a half percent increase in top line revenue. And considering the middle of COVID and all the other uh, headwinds that have faced our economy, I think we did pretty well Uh, on the earnings side. I think we knocked it out of the park, Uh, seven, little over 700% uh, improvement from uh, in rough numbers I don't have the, I should have like a cheat sheet or something here, but, uh, Somewhere around about a million five, I think uh, negative in 2019 to about a quarter quarter million uh, positive in 2020.
1: Um, One of the interesting things too is like if investors were to look at your numbers on a consolidated revenue base, they wouldn't see necessarily the growth. But if you look at the individual pieces of the puzzle, like your and and the most exciting parts of your business, they're growing nicely
6: here. They are. It's it. it the big focus was on margin growing, getting into profitability. Remember we're our company is a hundred percent has been growing completely based on cash flow. Um, I am, I am the type of person who's a bit, uh, a bit resistant to turning on the printing press and, and diluting. I'm, I'm the largest shareholder of the company and I certainly don't want to dilute myself along with my fellow shareholders. So, um, instead of uh, uh, doing a raise and diluting at what right now is a pretty low valuation, I believe, um, we just hunkered down and said, you know what, we're going to gonna do this manually the old-fashioned way through, through uh, internal growth. So um, getting to, uh, to cash flow positive, for, well, first to get, we got to EBITDA positive, then we got to net income positive and cash flow positive and shed uh, there were also some long-term debts well over a million dollars worth of debts. the debts company is uh, been paying off all those old legacy debts so today except for maybe a, a ppp loan or an eidl loan through the COVID rescue plan we're, we're basically wiped out all those debts um cash flow positive ebitda positive now the focus is on top line uh, but we needed to to get to that profitability because that's that's what funds growth and for us growth growth comes from hiring people that that's our number one asset Um, other companies have plant and equipment and factories are our our plant and equipment are the people in the company so that cash flow lets us go out and hire uh, more talent. so that, that that's that's been the focus, and I said the you know you look at those the numbers from, from last year about 700 percent increase in uh, in uh, in, um, in net income. Uh, like I said, I wish I had I wish I had the sheet in front of me. There are there are a few more. Uh, that's fine. But actually, too,
1: is what I what's why I like here too is you, you kind of gotten to where you've gotten today without really a really aggressive sales and marketing effort. And I think moving forward, you're at that moment now yeah. where you're ready to start turning that on. And um, what's interesting also is, I think, and it's a good, a good segue a Lifeline, is that with some of the developments that are going on Lifeline, that you're going to get some more cash flow coming in, so you're going to be able to actually probably step up that growth. Uh, so I'll I'll speak and, to I'll yeah. speak to
6: that in sales real quick. Um, it, it's a little embarrassing to say that we've been growing the company, sit around waiting for the phone to ring. I don't know if you heard the saying in sales: there's two types of salespeople, hunters and farmers. Well. Uh, embarrassing to say we've been farmers all this time, just waiting for the crops to grow. We just hired our first full-time true director of channel sales in the company's history. So now it's switching from farmers to hunters and going out and and hunting for deals and taking a proactive approach to to sales. On the lifeline side, you mentioned about some of the new things happening there. About uh, five weeks ago now, maybe six weeks ago, the FCC voted unanimously, all the commissioners voted unanimously to expand and create a new program uh, called the EBB. I think it stands for Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. They allocated $3.2 billion to this program. And- That was kind Apple of talked about the stimulus bill, right? Uh, I, you know, I, it's, it's hard to sometimes track the flow of, uh, of money in Washington or, or the money comes from and, and which stimulus bill and which relief bill that's going on, right? There've been so many, there's trillions of dollars uh, being printed, but uh, I, I can tell you that uh, about 3.2 billion was uh, allocated, uh, and this information is all available publicly uh, to this EBB program. And it's a, it's a one-time funding. We don't know if the program will be, will be uh, refunded um, next year or whenever that $3.2 billion runs out. But in the meantime, um, what it will do is it'll provide an additional $50, at least for, for our scenario, an additional $50 per line per month. And this will allow us to go out and bring the service to areas that we couldn't uh, economically serve in the past. Um, we, we've been offering unlimited voice, text, excuse me, and data plans for uh, for quite a while, for a number of years, actually. Um, but there were a number of areas in the country that we just couldn't bring this uh, this plan to. The economics didn't work, but now with this extra funding, the economics work. So... Um, so not only that, it's like a situation where you approved
1: in eight states. That's you, right. And um, you're basically... Um, only been though, operating really in one state because of certain things we don't, we don't have time to talk That's about That's right.
6: right so we've and, been operating that, prim- primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in uh, in uh, Oklahoma, and, and mostly because uh, there's an additional subsidy uh, that comes for um, for uh, tribal areas for Native Americans. So and now you have well,
1: the. So now you can go there, and now you can start going to these other states where that where the subsidy was not near as big. And now you also have basically maybe more incentive to even go outside these eight states, and more aggressively trying to get more states. Uh, oh,
6: there's there's no doubt with that because we have that FCC approved compliance plan, kind of a, a national license, if you want to call it like call it that. Um, yes, we'll rapidly push into uh, into the other states, but just in the eight states um, that 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 we're authorized now, when I mean, you're talking thousands and th- potentially thousands of uh of activations per month um right. there are some lifeline carriers activating today uh, over a hundred thousand new lines per month prior to this additional money
1: now without getting into your pricing um internally but you just you have x amount of lines already you're servicing and this is just going to be and once this about, is turned
6: up. right so we have about six thousand almost six thousand lines now and um if you, if you take revenue, if you take this, revenue that will increase from uh, thirty four dollars to about eighty five eighty four dollars
1: just for doing nothing basically just for having these lines well, right? basically... we'll
6: we'll have to we'll have to provide unlimited data for those lines but the incremental cost um with the extra money we can we can we could deliver the un- un- uh, unlimited data, cover those extra incremental costs, and still have um, some some amount left over.
1: All right. So you basically just um, you're going to get before you even go hunting for more. For, for, right. You, you have more lines. You already have already overnight going to have this potential here to, on a monthly basis, to get this increase in revenue.
6: Right. Um, well, we place We go from thirty-four to uh, eighty-four dollars. Yeah. Um. So- which changed, I mean, which values.
1: obviously can put you in a better position now to go you know even maybe be more aggressive in some of your uh marketing efforts in the in your um
6: appearance inside the business so well the one of the things you know again we talked I mentioned about building a company from cash flow um the the plan is uh to to utilize utilize that that positive cash flow from from Infinity Mobile which is the um, uh, we, we call that an ETC, Eligible to communicate Telecommunications Carrier. Um, and we move money, we shift money between the companies as needed. So now that company will have uh, quite a bit of surplus cash uh, each month. We'll use some of that, obviously, to continue to grow that company to fund, fund its growth. But the true surplus cash will be redirected over to Apiron. Um and that money would be used for hiring more staff, sales-related people, and salespeople also means like sales engineers to support the sales channels, um, to take that more proactive approach. Like I said, hunters versus farmers.
1: Right, and um, we're running out of time here. Um, no so I want to I want to basically remind people, hey, I, we at Geo Investing, we have a, a full article on the company and some videos with. Um, with Sean there to get, if you want to dig deeper into the story, but we need to end up, we, we've been talking all the bullish things here. We should definitely talk about some of the risks and caveats to investing in your company, Sean, you know, and sure. what are some of the things we need to be aware of on, on that, on that front, you got customer concentration, well, other things.
6: You um, you, you know, a little about my background, spending uh, almost four years in the, uh, the venture capital world. I'm, I'm, I'm used to being on the, the other side of the table, the skeptical side of the table. Um, which is, you know, you told me all the good stuff. Now I want to hear about the bad stuff or the risk areas. And so probably the, probably the most obvious is, you know, will we execute on the plan? Um, The, 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 I think probably the, the greater risk areas are um, we have limited resources when you, again, when you're self-funded you have limited resources. So is if lifeline starts to accelerate, like I think it will. We'll need, um, we, we can fund that growth several thousand lines a month, no problem, because we have the, the cash and the cash flow to support that. But let's say that we started uh, hitting 10,000 activations a month, 20,000 activations a month. Then I'm going to have to go out and find uh, additional financial resources to support that growth, because you're talking about that could be a million or $2 million a month worth of commissions and phones. Now, that's obviously a good problem to have. But, um, but that, you know, that that's a risk area. Uh, Will this, this new expansion of the life, life the emergency, the EBB program, will that be fund uh, refunded when funding runs out? Um, I don't know, I can't predict what happens in Washington, but there is a backup plan to that. If we sign up five, 10, 20,000 lines under that program and the funding either is reduced or goes away, um, we'll go back to the customer base and we'll be able to continue to offer them service. And all they have to do is pay a small co-mate copayment, um, attracting good talent that this is a risk area. Um, we're a, a software company. And and so you're competing against Facebook and Google and, and PayPal, and a lot of really big name companies that pay, uh, big salaries that, uh, re, uh seeking out, retaining. Uh, good talent, that's uh, that's a challenge.
1: Okay, and so, so overall on the hosted side, is there a specific risk you want to talk about on the hosted side of the business besides that? That could be um, what we got to worry about.
6: On the wholesale side?
1: The host, uh, host, host, hosted communications. Oh, hosted. Like,
6: you know, uh, on yeah. the hosted side, yes, we've got, um, we have concentration in a couple of key customers. Um, you know, you want to, want to obviously diversify that. Um, our, our largest customer, I can say on the positive side, has been with the company for six years. And um, that customer signs three-year contracts. We've got about a year and a half, maybe almost two years left on, on that contract, but they've re-upped the contract several times now. Um, but, but bringing in uh, additional uh, sales, again, going out and hunting for sales, so that we're not as dependent on a couple of key customers, so that that's a risk area. Um, like I said, luckily the, these on the hosted side, uh, customers sign two and three year contracts, and they have contractual commitments uh, in those contracts.
1: Excellent, Sean. So we've got to we've got
6: to diversify that customer base more.
1: Great. And finally, I think we you know we should end this on why you, why Sean. What give us a little, like a your, your two minute pitch on your history and. Why I wish you have comments when you run this company, ah, ah, well, here, here, a little bit of what you did in the past. <laughs>
6: uh, this is, uh, well, okay, yeah. you know, I always say luck, luck's a factor, I don't care how hard you work and uh, how smart you are, luck's a factor. I, I had my fair share of lucky breaks, but uh, this is my second major venture. My first company I started, um, I was CEO for 17 years and had a successful exit, uh, that company Created the modern-day 911 dispatching system used all throughout North America, parts of Europe, and uh, and the the Pacific uh, Asia um, part of the part of the nation. Um, that company started in '83. Uh, I started that with uh, my business mentor, and I was CEO until 2000. Um, had a successful exit in 2004, 2005. Can't remember the exact year. Um, controlling interest was sold to Westview Capital Partners. And so I've lived through this this metamorphosis you have in a technology software company. You start off as a very engineering-oriented company, a bunch of software geeks like myself building software. And at some point, now you've built your cool software, but you sure as hell better go out and sell it. So transitioning from a technology-oriented company engineering mentality to a sales mantra, critical. And we're going through that right now with Conatel. So you had this very engineering oriented development cycle for many years, Built, the, building the appear on network took years. It took uh, the founder, Josh Plude and, uh, and his partner, several years to build that network. And it's up and running today. It's very, very well tested. We'll run over a billion transactions a month through our national network. And this thing doesn't miss a beat. Um, but now we're at that point where you've, go, you've, got, you've got the infrastructure, you've got the network and we got sales, um, but we don't have enough sales. So like I said, this year, 2021 is this, this metamorphosis of, of morphing into a sales-oriented company. I've lived that before. Um, and it wasn't just me. I've said a whole team of people in my old company. There is well over 100 people uh, in that company. So the, the key, I believe the key is it's going out and hiring people that are better, smarter, faster than you are uh, and putting that team together. So it isn't, uh, you know, as the Cowboys say, it's not my first rodeo. Thank
1: you, Sean, so much. Again, the symbol is KTEL. And we were here with Sean McEwen, CEO of Co-O-O-T-L. Um, And um, that's it. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Sean.
0: Great. Thanks, Maj. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network and Maj Don are not licensed brokers, broker-dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy, sell, short, cover securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value if we are long and fall if we are short. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.